Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Anxiety and stuff in general just feels like something that everybody has to a degree. And so you always want to be on top of it and you want to be thinking about the things that you are or aren't doing because of your fears and your worries. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire. Talking about an important topic today, mental health and anxiety. I mean, I think we all battle with anxiety to some degree, some more extreme than others. What kind of role can travel play in mental health? And that's something that we dive into deep with my guest who is very open and very willing to share his struggles uh, and some of the the issues that he's had and how he has been able to overcome them and how travel helped him do that. And, you know, it, it brings up a lot of interesting questions, one of which is, how do you get on the road and start traveling if you are scared of it, if you're terrified of the unknown? I know that's not everybody listening to this show, but I think when we are getting ready to take off on a longer term trip, um, there are a lot of stresses involved, or there can be, right? It's not just the trip itself. Some of you may be changing your entire life situations in order to take off to travel long term or full time. You know, you might be giving up the place that you live and and you might be stressing out about how you're going to find a place when you get back, if you even do come back, uh, you might be worried about you know getting rid of uh, some of your stuff or preparing for your trip or maybe over planning or not planning enough. All of the unknowns of the road can certainly be a catalyst, I guess I would say, for anxiety if you let it. So we talk a lot about these various topics in uh, this interview portion of the show. And I just love when people are just vulnerable and open and honest. And because they are willing to share a piece of themselves in that way, it helps people. And I'm sure listening in in this conversation, whether you struggle with anxiety tremendously or maybe it's just something you battle every once in a while, I'm sure there's going to be some great stuff in here for 
all of you on either end of that spectrum or anyone in between. And after the interview portion, stick around because I'm going to share a very simple way to balance uh, spontaneity and planning. You know, this is one of the things that comes up in our chat, how uh, planning ahead can maybe relieve some of those anxieties. But at the same time, you want to leave room for spontaneity when you're traveling, right? You never know who you're going to meet, what place you might be drawn to. Uh, I'm talking especially if you're traveling longer term, you know, if you just got like a 10-day vacation or something, you can certainly have spontaneous things happen, but maybe have a little less time to work with, a little less flexibility. Uh, this is always an interesting balance that I think does affect the travel experience. You know, how much spontaneity do you build in to your planning? I can uh, share something that I've done in the past that has been a real simple way to kind of maintain that flexibility and spontaneity, but also have, you know, some things planned out so you're not totally wandering around town with your backpack or your roller suitcase or whatever you carry at, uh, you know, one in the morning looking for a place to sleep, which of course I've done. <laughs> uh, I've done that thing. I've slept in uh, parks outside because I couldn't find places uh, to, to overnight that were under a roof. So I've had these various experiences and I'm kind of over the days of wandering around in the middle of the night looking for a place to sleep. Not that it won't ever happen again, but yeah, it's good to have a little bit of plan, at least for myself uh, right now. So uh, I'll share a little bit about that on the back end of this interview, as well as give a shout out to somebody in this community, this lovely community. Don't forget, you're listening in with many thousands of people around the world like-minded, travel-loving souls like yourself as part of the Zero to Travel caravan. And if you uh, want to keep in touch off the podcast, head over to zerototravel.com and just sign up for the email list. I'm giving out a bonus uh, exclusive audio file right now over there if you sign up. And of course, you're going to find out about all the upcoming events we have that are taking place off the podcast. Got a really cool challenge coming up soon to help you start a side hustle if you want to transition out of your nine-to-five job. All these types of things happening all the time. But hey, if you're just listening to the podcast, you get all the podcast stuff, but maybe you're not getting the other stuff. So anyway, take a moment if you haven't done so and sign up over at zerototravel.com. We'd love to keep in touch with you there. And please shoot me an email, jason at zerototravel.com. It's right there. And uh, I love to hear from listeners, get pictures from you guys. Uh, it makes my day. So if you have time to leave a review or send an email, just introduce yourself. Let me know what you're up to. Maybe you want to share some knowledge. Uh, some stuff that you want me to share with the community, whatever. We're uh, here for you. And this is a two-way conversation. And I would hope at some point, maybe you can check in and uh, chime back, you know, so I don't feel like I'm sitting in this small booth in my co-working space talking to myself, which is what I'm doing. But I don't feel that way because I know you're here with me. So thanks for joining me. Without further ado, let's get into the interview portion of this show. And... I will see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today has managed to travel to over 20 countries despite struggling with anxiety, OCD, and depression, and found so much value in the travel experience that he decided to start a website called anxiousandabroad.com to help others who face similar challenges, travel the world. Today, we'll learn how getting out of his comfort zone and traveling changed his life and share some key lessons that he learned that can benefit all types of travelers. Gilad Gamliel, 
Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you so much, Jason. Good to be here. I love that name. It's sing-songy. Thank you. You know, I have not found it the same way. (laughs) (laughs) You would be surprised how many different variations there are of that when you're grown up. (laughs) Oh, yeah? You mean like from other people or... Oh, yeah, no, totally. Teachers I mean, and, yeah. Teachers. It's like any time I was in class and they would do attendance, like they would just go through the list of names and then they get to mine and they just pause and like wait. And I'm, I just like would raise my head. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Just move <laughs> on. Like, yeah, I see what you're struggling with. Um, yeah, it's like just, it's fine. I worry about this with my kids because they have a Norwegian letter in their last mm. name. And I'm just like, oh, this is... Yeah, this is going to be a little complicated for you. Is it we, that A, like that A-E mix-up It's one? the O with the slash through it. But I'm sure if oh, we ever okay. moved to America, we would just do the English spelling. I was going to say, it, I would not know how to pronounce that at all. Yeah, it would still be hard to pronounce, but I think it made, made the first name's easy, so that's okay. Yeah, that's um, that's all that matters. You can see I'm like stumbling over. My, my tongue's not working yet, even though it's the afternoon and we, we already kind of figured that out. You're in the morning in New York. I'm in mm-hmm. the afternoon in Norway. But you're actually like the first person I've spoken to in hours. So <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that happens, and then you like start talking, and you're like, "Oh my god, I forgot how to talk within the past few hours." <laughs> I know this That's microphone so usually kickstart things. Anyway, yeah, you need to um, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, I I got the email from you, and yeah. you know there was just so much uh, honesty and vulnerability in just the email. I was like, "Oh, this dude is really." <laughs> putting himself you out gotta there. You got to sell it. You got to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's yeah. just, I think it was kind of, yeah, I, I could just tell that, you know, you're, you're real genuine from where you were coming from in terms of your own experience and yeah. the desire to help others that are struggling with this and, and going so yeah. far as to, you know, even starting a website about this. So it's one of those things uh, when, like now that I'm steeped in like the world of mental health a little bit, you start thinking about the fact that everybody thinks that they have their own stuff going on and they do but like so much more of it is like shared with other people and you're never going to know about it unless you talk about it so I started talking about it and from there I just started like realizing oh everybody else has the same stuff so why not like just be open with it and it's true like ever since then I've been just like overwhelmed with like stories of my friends and stuff that have similar situations well what was the feeling at first when you started talking about it Yeah. Um, Well, it's always scary because it's like anytime you put yourself out there, you just want to make sure that you're not throwing a large piece of yourself at people and like not getting the kind of um, validation that you want. You just don't want to get rejected, obviously. But the thing is, it's just the more you uh, talk about these things, the, the more you see that other people struggle with it, too. Yeah, was that surprising to you to start having those conversations and having friends reveal some things? It sounds like that's kind of how it went down. Yeah, well, be, yes, because um, with the anxiety and the OCD that I deal with, it's it's isolating to this in the sense that it constantly wants to make you think that you're the only one dealing with this stuff and that your thoughts are crazy thoughts and no one else has them. And then once you start talking to other people about it, you're like, oh, this is just the same thing everybody else has. I just think about it a whole lot more than they do. Can you explain what it is? Was this like a clinical? Sure. Diagnosis? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Can, can you kind of give us the, the background on? Totally. Yeah. So I, I, I've struggled with anxiety for, I'm 27 now. I've struggled with it for 27 years. <laughs> um, but the OCD sort of started in um, college in particular with uh, stuff around my health. My health has always been fine, but I just started like really latching on to ideas that I wasn't healthy, whether it was um, 
like I, I saw a mole on my back that I had had since I was three, but I was like, oh, that's probably cancer. That's definitely cancer. And then just stuff like that. But the best way that I can kind of describe OCD to people who don't have it is that it's sort of like this, um, if you imagine like a filter in your brain that sifts through all of the like information that you take in on a daily basis. Um, the job of this filter is to make sure that you know what's important to think about and what's not important to think about. And for most people, the big things kind of get stuck in that filter. And that would be like, um, you know, how am I going to pay my rent this month? How am I going to get my presentation for work done in time? Like stuff that you really need to stress about. But for people with OCD, small, um, like innocuous things get stuck there too. And those are the obsessions. So that could be anything from like, did I turn the stone off, uh, stove off this morning? You know, is that mole on my back like cancer? And what happens is people with OCD spend a lot of time problem solving, trying to dislodge these obsessions, these small innocuous thoughts um, from the filter so that you can move on with your day. But the funny thing is the harder that you try to dislodge them or shake them, they get stuck deeper because you, the, the dislodging action is the compulsion and the compulsion helps you in a very short term, but in a long term, it really does not. So the funny thing is, that the actual way to treat this stuff is called exposure therapy, which is sort of like letting those fears um, that are stuck in your mental filter, like kind of sit with them and be with them. It's a very counterintuitive thing. Like your brain is telling you to do the complete opposite, but what you have to do is sort of indulge the brain in the concern that it has. So if for example, the obsession is thinking that if you don't turn off the stove five times, that uh, your house is gonna burn down, your compulsion will usually be to turn it off five times or to not use the stove at all. But the exposure therapy would tell you to say, you know what, you're right. If I don't turn it off five times, um, my house will burn down, I will lose everything, I will have nowhere to live, and that's what's gonna happen. And when you just sort of sit with that stuff on repeat, it's kind of like watching a scary movie. Like the first time you watch it, you might not sleep for days. The second time you might sleep, like might not sleep for one night, but after 15 to 20 times, you're going to just get used to it. And then the things that get stuck in that mental filter just sort of get recognized by it, but sort of go through it once you've managed to do it correctly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what were some, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing like a, an example of something that you sure. struggled with and then, yeah, I understand that process. You described it very well. I'm just trying to understand a bit more about how how this affects like a person on like a re very real level. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, uh, like I said, my major um, obsessions are health related. It's all about wondering: Am I healthy? Am I sick? Am I dying right now? You know, WebMD is my biggest nemesis. But um, pretty much, like for me. Uh, I get bouts of dizziness a lot of the time. And for a long time, I was like, okay, I have a brain tumor. I'm positive I have a brain tumor. And I know to a degree, this is something that everybody feels. But so my compulsions would be to make a, like doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments and um, to look up symptoms and stuff just to confirm again and again and again that I don't have it, even after doctors told me that I was fine. Um, and so in practice, the compulsions weren't really helping. Just in a short term, they were just saying, okay, you're okay, you're okay. But the fear kept coming back, despite the logic. So the exposure therapy was really, it sucked, but it was like, you know, watch videos about people who actually did get sick, watch documentaries about it, about people who didn't know they were sick, 
go on go on WebMD and really like allow yourself to think maybe this is what's happening. Right. And then eventually it just sort of like blends into the background. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know how this all started for you? Is this a I mean, I know it sounds like very ignorant, but I am ignorant when it comes to some of these things. Is it like uh, something that evolves over time based on childhood experiences? Or sure, is sure. There, is there an element of No, no, it's, it's a valid or... question because people don't really know how to deal with, um, you know, the origins of these things. And the fact of the matter is we kind of just don't know. There are theories that say that OCD has to do with a part of the brain, I think, called the carded nucleus. Um, I don't really know anything about that. All I can tell you from my experience is that I just I was a very anxious kid from a very young age, whether that's genetic or not, I don't know. But um, this sort of took form in me in my early 20s, which is a, around when a lot of mental health problems start to like, you know, crystallize for people. So I don't know if it's a combination of like, you know, genetics and environment, but it, it was like it kind of like felt like it was coming based on just the anxiety that I had had my entire life. Okay. So mm-hmm. how does one figure out if they're dealing with normal anxiety versus something beyond normal, right? Like, I think we all deal with, oh my God, like, where are my keys? Or, you know, there's yeah. all this, these everyday things that happen, or you just get a flash of something that might make you anxious. Um, it's it's really hard to to know because we only have our, our own personal human experience with anxiety. So I... Uh, yeah, no. And, and everybody does struggle with anxiety, which is why I don't want to like, you know, belittle that struggle because everybody has it. Um, the way to know that if if your anxiety is a real problem is just to think about your daily life and think how much of your life is being dictated by it. Are you avoiding things because you're afraid of them on a consistent basis? Um, are there things you want to be doing that you're not doing because you're afraid of it? And if that continues for an extended period of time, not that I think everybody like kind of needs to like see a therapist, although I recommend it and I think it's great. Um, but you know, just being aware of those things and trying to make sure that you, you know, you want to live your best life. You don't want to be like put in a corner by your, by your uh, anxiety. So you just sort of want to like put a note on it and be like, that's weird. I want to, um, you know, work on that and see if there's anything I can do to, you know, offset it a little bit so I can do what I want to do. Yeah. I think that's a great way to not, not define it, but just kind of frame it up. Right. It's like, if it's, it's, if it's impacting your life, and preventing mm-hmm. you from the things you want to do. And like you said, living your best life. And certainly probably a good idea to take a stronger look at um, making sure that that doesn't happen, right? Totally, yeah. And I think it's just it's this anxiety and stuff in general just feels like something that everybody has to a degree. And so you always want to be on top of it and you want to be thinking about the things that you are or aren't doing because of your fears and your worries. Okay, so one of the things that you said, this was actually impacting you in this way because in your email you said you were trapping yourself uh, not connecting with others and i'm just reading it verbatim uh, quote felt like i was hiding myself from the world but at 23 after being fed up with being boxed in and after having learned some really cool techniques in therapy you mentioned exposure and response prevention i decided to say screw it and travel the screw it part seems like a big <laughs> leap for you it is a big leap um it is a big leap that was the moment like i was just saying when you have to examine what's going on in your life and, and decide what you really like value and what you want to do. And that was the moment for me where I was like, I've wanted to travel for a really long time. I have stayed in my little comfort bubble, 
you know, these 23 years of my life, you well, know, that, that to, was the thing. Like you said that yeah. all this stuff was keeping you in a comfort zone. Yeah. That was, was, that was preventing you from doing the thing you wanted to do. Yeah. It was forcing me into it. And, and there was a point where I felt like I was outgrowing it, but I was scared to do anything because of the anxiety and the fears. Um, so that like screw it moment was huge for me because it was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to like sit on this. I'm going to take a little control of it. And you know, if, the fears come, then they come. Well, was it a screw it moment? Was it an actual moment in your life? Yeah, like I remember those... where I was. <laughs> well, describe it to me. Yeah, I had um, I had just gone back from work, and I was living in Texas at the time. And um, I had, remember I had spoken with my friend Dan about traveling to Southeast Asia a bunch, but it was one of those things. It was sort of like a pipe dream. It wasn't going anywhere. Um, and then I just got back from work, and I was like this job is underwhelming. Everything that is in going on in my life at this current moment is underwhelming. I want something big. I want something adventurous. Um, I just got to like, see what's like, you know, what I can make happen. And so I called my friend, Dan, uh, he was living in Pennsylvania at the time. And I was like, do you want to actually make this trip happen? And he's like, you know what? Uh, yeah. And so, uh, Uh, yeah, (laughs) <laughs> no, no, and like three days later, he called me back and he's like, "Okay, I'm quitting my job. We're gonna go to Asia for two months." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, let's do it." <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that helped too with the accountability, right? Because you yeah. have somebody yeah, else. Yeah, it's that's, huge. Right, it was huge, especially for my first trip when you know the the months leading up to it are terrifying when you've never done it before. Um, I was just like, there's so many times I wanted to pull the plug, but it really helped to have someone on board with me that like I couldn't like ditch. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was helpful. We are going to get your advice for others that are struggling with some of these things in varying degrees. And I, we already got some, I would say, but in terms of how it's uh, related to travel, but before we get into that, I'm just wondering where you were when you had this epiphany and this moment, and then you and your friend decided, Dan decided to go where were you with your internal struggles at that point? Did you feel like you had things under control? Did that, did that like trigger a whole bunch of new fears? I mean, how, how did you Yeah, It's kind of a combination. Um, I mean, I, I would not have gone on a two month trip to a, to a, like a con- countries I'd never been before. If I was not in like a bit of a decent mental space, um, I, towards the end of college, I had gotten finally seen a therapist who was really like speaking the language that I needed. Um, and we were really working on a lot of these exposures and response prevention techniques. So by the time I was 23, I was I kind of had a handle on it in a way that was really um, comfortable and nice. Uh, obviously, the anxiety was there and it was, you know, going to stay there. But um, I, w- I was definitely at a better place than I was previously. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hear about the first week of the... Ch- I mean, well... I mean, yeah. there's the other level of just quitting your... Did you quit your job? Like I was, I was doing an internship, so it had an expiration okay. date. All yeah. right. I'm just wondering because I think the first week of a longer trip is, is kind of like a settling in period, right? Well, there's the excitement, but also yeah, you're just getting used to a new culture and everything like that uh, and just being on the road. I mean, it, it, that I'm using a generic time frame because that can vary for anybody, but I'm just wondering how you took that shock to your system. Like all of a sudden you're on the plane, you're going here. It is like, this is no more. There's no more talking about this. This is like, all right, this is the real thing happening. And how are you managing all of that? And how did it go? Was it like, yeah. Oh, the trip. Was, right off the bat. Or was it was like, Holy crap, like, this is, yeah. 
<laughs> that was, I mean, easily the best trip of my life. I've been on a bunch since, but that still stands out as the best one. Um, I remember the drive to the airport being the longest drive of my life. Like the week leading up was hard. The drive leading up was hard, but having my friend there was really helpful. Um, I was nervous about so many things like cultural barriers, language barriers, uh, getting lost. I'm always afraid I'm going to get lost. I don't know why, but I'm always afraid of it. Um, but it was helpful to have a friend who was like kind of on the same wavelength as me. And he was a, he's a very calming person. He has a very calming presence, which was really useful on a first trip. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, you know, what's funny is I settled into like, like backpacking life and hostel life pretty easily. Once you realize what hostels are like and what backpacking is like, uh, things get a lot more comfortable because hostels kind of become like a little like comfort bubble in a totally different area. So as soon as I got to that first hostel, I went, we flew into Bali and um, we started meeting other travelers. I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's not just us here. We're not alone in a new environment by ourselves. Like there are people to do this with who get what I'm going through and who speak the language that I do. And so that was really helpful. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately... I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress 
is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. What did travel do for you on that oh, post trip? Yeah, it was huge. Uh, I Until then, I... I didn't know that I could do it. And then after I did this trip, I had concrete evidence that like I could leave my comfort zone and not collapse into like a pool of sobs, you know, like I, I, it was a big moment for me to prove that everything that my anxiety was telling me was wrong and that I have evidence of it. Um, so that was really important. And then just the sense of independence, like, you know, I grew up on Long Island with like family, friends everywhere, you know, and then when you're really like, Put your, putting yourself out into the world in a in like the complete opposite side of the world, you have to fend for yourself to a degree. And I came home alive, so it was you know it was really a, a moment of pride for me, knowing that I was able to accomplish something like that. And uh, it's something I took with me moving forward. I've moved around to a lot of uh, cities since then, and you know I continue to travel whenever I can because of that pivotal moment in my life. How has that been for you now? Are are you working a regular job and just traveling in between? You said you've been yeah. moving around. What have you been doing since? Yeah, that well, trip? Uh, I work in um in film and TV, and in film and TV, it's a lot of um freelance and contract work. So, what do you do? I'm an animator. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so I drawing. In... You're actually illustrating? Or... No, no. I mean, pe- people do do that, but I what I do is called compositing. It's more just like assembling all the different pieces together and adding special effects to uh make everything cohesive. I, I think it's the most fun thing ever. But um, when, uh, when I got back, I moved to uh, Vancouver and I was doing it there. And then uh, now I'm back in New York. But the, the thing about this you know, field of work is that it's contract and freelance based. So you do a project that can be anywhere from like a week to 10 months. And then once you're finished, you have to find another project. And when you know connections, then it's really easy to go from one to the next. Um, but you do get the opportunity to have like a little break in between. And so most of my trips that I've had, I've planned between breaks. So yeah, I just did a trip to uh, the Philippines and Japan right after my last contract. Um, and I'm trying to think of a new one for this upcoming contract. Ending. That's exactly what I did for yeah. over a decade. I mean, I was, I was working these touring jobs, but then in between the contracts, I would go overseas and uh, it worked out great. And sometimes I would just be like, you know what? I'm not taking another contract. I'm just going to take like a really long trip and then I'll find something when I get back. And then you have to just kind of trust that it, that it will work out. But that's, that's an interesting layer too, because your type of work that that's another, that can be another level of anxiety that keeps people in their jobs, right? Like they're like, I'm not going to do contract work because I don't know where my next thing's coming. Even though the reality is any full-time job, they can let you go at any moment. So it's it's all an illusion, but... Totally. (laughs) Um, But it is funny because like, 
it does give me a lot of anxiety. I like my personality is not built for freelancer contract work at all. I my personality is all like, let's get a job and stay there for as long as I can until I safely have a new one. And I will just cross over to the next one. And it's and I'm not gonna lie, it's been an adjustment um, over the past five years of like, making sure I know where I'm getting my money from, because sometimes it just doesn't happen. But for the most part, now I've managed to cultivate a little bit of a network uh, in my industry in New York. And I can kind of have the luxury of hopping from job to job with few, few breaks in between unless I want them. I mean, I had a similar anxiety around that. Like I said, I mean, like we agree, I think it's normal to, you know, want to know, all right, well, where, what am I going to do next? What's, what's the next gig? Am I going to get a next gig? But for me, and I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you, but the travel really helped. It helped me get used to just getting comfortable with the unknown and just oh seeing God, that, yes. well, things work out. So why wouldn't this aspect of my life work out the way things always do when you're traveling? It just taught me so much in that way of, of sort of, I guess, letting go a little more and just having faith that, you know, you just kind of push forward and things will work out. Yeah. And like, if you're able to manage like your life all the way in like Asia, when you live, if you're like me and you live in the US, like, how can you possibly like not be able to manage just being home? Like you'll, you'll make it work. I like things are obviously, that's an oversimplification, a simplification. Things are obviously complicated, but you know, it's, you have evidence, like clear evidence that you managed in a completely foreign environment and the environment you live in on a daily basis is not foreign. So you should be able to manage it. It definitely um, has been a learning process. What have you seen in terms of a transformation in yourself from if you think back and put yourself in the shoes of the guy that was just say booking that trip with Dan or somewhere around mm-hmm. that time versus who you are now? How, yeah. how much has changed with you? Um, well, on a, like a daily basis, like on a note of like just being here, uh, it's just a lot like more... I was, I wanted to say the word easygoing, but I, you know, I still struggle with all my anxieties. They're still very much there, but like, I have a bit more, um, confidence in myself because I've tried the things that I've wanted to try and known that I can do them. And as a result, it kind of bleeds over into all sorts of aspects of my life. I'm a lot more social than I used to be. I'm a lot more confident at work than I used to be. And then, um, in terms of traveling, like I can book trips now without any, hesitations. I mean, not any, I still get nervous before any trip, but like, I do not think about it nearly to the degree that I did it like for that first one. Yeah. And that was the key really for you. You wanted to travel and you've unlocked that the ability without having to deal with all of the travel is a scary thing. Like there's no way around it. You know, that's why most people don't do it to the degree that, uh, that like maybe you and I do, because it's a scary thing. You're picking yourself up, you're dropping yourself in a literally completely foreign environment with all these barriers around you and you have to make it work. And that's why I have conversations with people all the time who are like, you're so brave for traveling. I'm like, no, man, like, I'm just as scared as you are. In fact, probably more. The thing is, like, I wanted to do it so bad that I made it a priority. Yeah. I mean, once you get on the plane, just show up. You don't have a choice but to face yeah. everything. Right. And that's, you gotta go with it, that's yeah. part of it. So what is your advice to um, others that might be struggling with some of these things in, in varying degrees? You, you mentioned in your email that maybe a loosely structured trip is the best way to get started. Uh, for, that is for those yeah. who teeter on the fence. What you said, I I wanted you to expand a little bit upon that. Yeah. So for me, um, I I have this weird balance between I love planning and I love knowing where I'm gonna be because if I don't have it, I feel 
lost or panicky. But at the same time, I don't want anything to be so structured that I like have everything planned down to the minute and don't get the chance to reroute if I want to. So the way that I kind of work is, yeah, I, I, meant, I call it a loosely structured itinerary. And pretty much all it is, is like you do some research beforehand, you know where you want to go, you kind of get a vague route for yourself, uh, like a point A and point B. Um, and then you kind of just go with it from there on. Like I always ever... I always only ever book my first hostel, my flight into the country and out of the country. So it's just point A, point B, and my uh, my place to stay the first night. And then I have plans on where I'm going to go moving forward, but I don't lock myself into them because I want to be able to have the flexibility to move around if I meet somebody who says like, oh, you should try this. This is great. Or, oh, uh, I know you were going to go to this, but I heard it's actually really bad, so don't even bother. Um, and just having that kind of like, weird mix between organization and disorganization for me is really helpful because it, it gives me that structure and that planning that I crave without, you know, setting anything in stone. Isn't word of mouth still the best way to find out about places? 100%. 100%. <laughs> I mean, you can Google to your heart's content, but when you get there and there on the ground and start talking to people, yeah, you can learn a lot more, I think. It's so much better. And that's why I always want to leave room for it. Cause I, on that first trip, like there are four or five things that I did that I would not have done if I hadn't spoken to travelers or had left room for myself. I love that. And, uh, that's of course going to be different for each person, right? Like how they, how do they plan a trip? So they feel at ease going into it or somewhat at ease. I mean, you don't have to be totally at ease, but Maybe for some people, that's like booking the first two weeks and then having it uh, go totally. further out. Like, I think, you know, whatever your comfort level is, is, you know, it's up to you. That's for me, the amount that I like. But yeah, for sure. If like you're going on a month long trip and you're really worried about it, book your first two weeks and then you still leave the last two weeks open for you to kind of uh, plan after you've settled into being in this country. Cool. Uh, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up because you mentioned it in your email. But one of one of the struggles I think kind of peaked for you when uh, another factor you threw in was that you realized you were gay, and I was wondering how the coming out process was for you. Yeah, it was um kind of long. Like I, I kind of I came out first uh, in therapy because that was the only person I felt comfortable talking to about it. And then I came out to my best friend and then my parents. Um, and then from there, it was sort of like a slow burn with everybody else. Uh, it was kind of weird. I had felt for a very long time, like I was just hiding a large piece of myself. I don't think, I mean, at this point it is a large piece of myself, but at the time, you know, you feel like you're on the cusp of being really close with a lot of people, but there's like a little asterisk next to it. That's like, but you know, like, is this relationship going to be the same once I do come out? Um, and so I was like, I really like dipped my toe and I, I really started, like I said, with my therapist and then really close people in my family. And then from there, it sort of trickled out to everybody else. Do you have any advice specifically for gay mm -hmm. travelers? You've been traveling a lot now and... You know, it's, I feel like I have not put enough of an effort into like, like gay travel. I just sort of do the standard backpacker routes and I sort of like, it just hasn't really been a huge factor in my... Um, in the way that I travel. But what I will say is that like a huge thing for me about travel was that I just didn't think it was for me when I, when I was, you know, really worried about it or I was, uh, 
you know, before I, I booked my first trip, I was just like, I know what this is, who this is for. This is for like carefree people. This is for nomads, you know, people don't really worry about this kind of stuff. And the fact of the matter is it's just not true. And so I think there may be a lot of gay people who want to travel, but don't think that they can for so many reasons. And to be fair, a lot of those reasons are justified. Other countries have obviously different laws and stuff um, and norms, but for the most part, a lot of this stuff is just in your head. And then once you actually go out and experience it, you realize it's not necessarily the case. Um, it is kind of tricky though, because you know when you're in another country, you kind of are beholden to their cultural norms and their, um, you know, their their laws and stuff and that gets a little dicey in some parts of the world but for the most part like i i haven't had any issues with gay travel um it just didn't really come up a ton for me i just sort of like went and hoped that it would be fine and it has been so you know what are some of the highlights for you in terms of travel highlights and mm -hmm. places that you've been oh my god uh asia is like my favorite continent <laughs> i southeast asia was so incredible um and i just like i said i went to the philippines and japan recently and they were so amazing so japan. much good food oh my god like i actually i i'm in the process right now for my website of writing up all of my uh travel itineraries to put up there so people can see them and like base theirs off of it if they want but i was writing my one for japan and i i write a portion uh just for like food and drinks to try there and i was like okay this is a whole page on its own <laughs> so funny how have, you, how have you found the culture back home after mm -hmm. leaving? The culture, it's kind of strange. Like coming back to American culture after experiencing cultures that have been around for a really long time is is different because American culture is like, obviously I love it. You know, I grew up here. It's, it's my favorite. But at the same time, it feels kind of new once you go to like, when you go to like Cambodia and you see the Angkor Wat that's been around since like the seventh century, like you know, you get a very deep sense of history in other parts of the world and then you come home and it kind of makes you reevaluate. Um, it, it just makes you realize that the history of this country is shorter, which is not a bad thing at all. Um, but it almost makes you think like, it's cool that we made it this far already after having not been around for nearly as long as some of these other countries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found that cause, just because we've been talking about anxiety so much that there is... A, a bit of anxiety in the U.S. culture, a, a layer of anxiety. And, and this is just one of my theories. I, I don't know if this is because of everybody's got to hustle up and figure out their own insurance situations and all that stuff. I mean, it's just a totally different scene here in Norway. It just feels a little more laid back. Not that you can't get that in the States, because you certainly can. Not um, New York. <laughs> yeah, New York, like, is, you know, you step out on the streets in New York, there's like, woo, things are happening. But that's cool, a cool feeling, too. And it's not, um, I mean, I'm from there, and I'm from, uh, maybe it's just the Northeast. I don't know. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, so there's something about the Northeast that, um, or maybe it's just my own anxieties come back when I go back to near where I'm from. And there could be some stuff there. Who knows? Yeah, I was just curious if like the vibe of the culture seemed different than when you left. Well, it, it um, there's definitely something to be said about the individualistic sort of nature uh, in here, at least New York. Like everybody is like doing their own thing. Everyone is like like out for themselves, which they understandably should be. But in other cultures, you do see some like really amazing examples of community that just sort of I don't know. You just you see the, like the the way people like reach out to each other. And you hear in New York, like 
if someone's just acting crazy on the subway, you just don't say anything. You just keep like going. That's you like know, big city sort of psychology though, right? Totally. It's yeah. Like... It's, but I didn't even like really think much of it until I saw examples of it elsewhere, uh, being done differently. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about New York though. That's like you, you mentioned, there's the, maybe the individualistic attitude, but then there's like something I would call New York friendly where it's like, you know, it's like, Hey, you, bleep bleep like yeah know, get over here and you're just like oh like they love me you know yeah it's, <laughs> it's like, just like Americans it's just like, like they're, a- if they're like angry at you in some nice way then it's like oh yeah they they like me that's cool I, like it feels good I don't, it's just, yeah it's like it's kind of like cold like distant father kind of love like you know they love you <laughs> right. you don't like you don't press it you don't like yeah. you don't you know you don't hug them too too deeply or anything you get a little morsel of attention you're like that was like yeah. a major approval there yeah you know? yeah and, and then just, you're sat you're satisfied yeah. For like the next year. If I can get the diner waitress to crack a, a half a smile, it's like, oh, you I never won, will. You, know? you never will. <laughs> diner waitresses are the most, uh, you know, rough and tumble kind of ladies here. <laughs> cool. Well, do you have any parting words of wisdom you want to share? And of course, oh. you can feel free to share your website and some of the yeah, things yeah, you're working on. Like maybe, you know, yeah, I just kind of wanted you to share what might be helping people that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So like I said, the website is anxious and abroad. It's I've put literally like every piece of travel advice that I have for anybody on it. So whether you don't know what to pack, whether you uh, don't know how to budget, whether you don't know how to plan a trip at all, like I have literally everything for you. I did it all. So you you don't have to think about it. Um, And like the way that I think about it is like, believe me, whatever you're worrying about, I've worried about it. I've done it and I'm alive. So you'll be okay. But for the most part, I just want people to think like, you are the kind of person who can travel. Anyone can do it. It's the 21st century. It's, you know, you're not going to be cut off from everybody that you you love back home. Things are just a bit easier than you think they are. And I know you won't think it until you get there, but you will see once you go that it is worth it and it's not, it's not going to terrify you. How do you like working on the site? Is this something that because I know you're doing your film career. Yeah. Is this something yeah. you're just doing for fun? Or are you hoping to turn it into sort of a full-time thing at some point? Great question. I've been uh, trying to figure it out for the past few years. I love working on my website. I literally, like I said, I've been working on my itineraries. I just wrote up about 145 pages of, of itineraries for people. I love doing it. Um, and I love talking about it. But I don't really know just yet how to turn this into something full-time. So in the meantime, I'm happy to do my... Uh, you know, work for six months, travel for a month, work for six months, travel for a month sort of situation. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's been fun. Like, and I've, I've read, I've gotten a lot of um, responses from people who have really connected with it and, and have been worried about traveling and have done it and told me like, you know, it's really not that bad. It's really not as scary as I thought. I was like, yeah. And like, that's the message. It's important because travel is incredible. You want to be able to do it. Yeah. What have you learned just by putting all that that whole project together and putting yourself out there in that way. That just that how many people like are struggling with this, with this conflict that I have, which is how do you travel, but also like not be terrified of it at the same time. There are so many people I've spoken to who have never done it before and they were scared. And then they, they just, I don't, I mean, I don't I have no way to like confirm whether or not they actually went on the trips, but like they reached out to me and they were like, I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, like I didn't realize it was this easy. I didn't realize hostels, could be nice. I didn't realize hostels have other people that I could chat with. I didn't realize that I can get an internet connection pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, so it's just nice spreading that kind of information so people know 
that there's just not as much to be afraid of as they think there is. Well, you've spread some good stuff today here with the community, <laughs> my friend. Thank you so much for taking the time to come. Totally. On Thank and, you uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Your story. Yeah, man. And keep in touch. Maybe, uh, yeah. maybe we can cross paths here at some point. Yeah, if I ever come to Norway, I will look you up. I'll be back east uh, in some months, so awesome. you never know. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, bud. See ya. Thanks so much. Bye. There you go. Thank you once again to Gilad for stopping by the show and just sharing. I mean, what a sweetheart of a guy and just the willingness to be open in that way. I mean, it takes a lot of... Uh, courage you know put yourself out there and friends and family find out about your struggles i mean i think that's the scary part about mental health and mental illness right it's like you you can hide it it's not like a big scar that's front facing on your body that somebody can sew up and fix it's inside you know in order to kind of work on those things you have to let people in you need help anyway if any of this is resonating with you and you feel like you might be battling with some mental health issues then um, don't be afraid to get out there and ask for help. You know, that's the best thing you can do for yourself. Really the thing that will allow you to live your best life, as he mentioned in the interview. And, you know, I'm always fascinated by the role that travel can play in so many things. And that was another just incredible thing I got out of uh, this chat. Just how powerful travel is in so many ways. And you look at how this was a tool that Gilad used to assist him in some of the battles he was having with his mental health and how it helped him. And, you know, travel always can play an interesting role in in many things in our lives, I think. And this is uh, just one of them. So I thought this was a very cool and important episode to put out there. I think we all struggle with anxiety uh, from time to time, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, maybe others, uh, it's not just time to time, maybe it's quite often. And yeah, it's just important to be aware of these things and to get help if you need it. So there you have it. Now, uh, I know at the top of the show, I mentioned giving a shout out and also talking about the balance of spontaneity and planning. Uh, first, let's just do the shout out here because uh, these reviews... When I get the reviews, oh gosh, that's so nice. Uh, It helps get the podcast out there. And if you believe in the message of the podcast and the mission to help people travel the world and it's helped you and you got a couple minutes, leave a review. It always uh, gets the show out there a bit more and encourages other people to listen. So you're kind of paying it forward uh, if you enjoy the show. And yeah, just wanted to give a shout out to Danielle who gave me a review last month. She said, a highlight of my day. I've listened to the podcast for years and it never fails to be informative and inspiring, but it's really been a breath of fresh air since COVID hit. Jason's genuine and positive hosting style will put a smile on your face and his guest experiences will make your travel bucket list get longer and longer. Thanks for an amazing podcast. So thank you. It's weird to kind of read these nice reviews about yourself, (laughs) but I don't know. It's, it always feels nice to, to know that the show is helping in that way. And yeah, I guess I am uh, one of the missions here is to make your travel bucket list a little longer, but there's a lot to see a lot to do, right? Got this plan here. We're on it. Let's explore it. That's what we're all about. So thank you once again for the kind review. If you got a moment again, drop me a line, Jason at zero travel.com or 
just uh, leave me a review. I, I read all of those as well, and I read all the emails I get. So thank you so much to everybody that's taken time to check in. And thanks for being a part of this community. You know, you got busy lives like everybody, and you're doing a lot of things. But here you are, whether you're listening, washing the dishes, or you know, out for a run, or maybe you're traveling right now, maybe you're on a road trip, wherever you're listening, can't thank you enough for uh, for being a part of the community. Before I let you go, yeah, let's talk about this idea of balancing uh, spontaneity and planning. You know, I feel like now a lot of people are road tripping because flying and and all that isn't the greatest thing in the world to do right now. So I think it is a lot easier to be spontaneous when you have a vehicle, right? Uh, that that's a whole different scenario. There are a lot of different scenarios here. You can talk about the road trip scenario when you have a vehicle. I mean, yeah, you have a vehicle and a tent and camping gear. I mean, man, you don't ever have to book anything. You just fly by the seat of your pants all the time. Of course, you can do that when you're, say, backpacking uh, through Europe or something like that. Maybe you're taking trains. You don't have a vehicle. But that can be a much different situation because you land in these towns. It might be hard to find a place to camp. Not everybody wants to, like you know, secretly camp somewhere where it's illegal and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so you might want to have a place to stay. Again, this conversation is a little bit different right now because of COVID. Hostels might not be an option and things like that. But, you know, generally speaking, I wanted to speak to this idea of traveling uh, when maybe you don't have a vehicle all the time because we're going to get back out there again. And, and when you're in that situation where you need to book accommodations, whether you're using hostels, Airbnbs, couch surfing, whatever. Oftentimes you need to arrange those things a bit in advance. I mean, sometimes, of course, you can always find accommodations depending on how many people are traveling and what season it is. If it's high season, it's a lot harder. You can always find something somewhere generally, but that doesn't mean it's fun or it's what you want to do. Personally, like I said at the top of the show, it's kind of a bit of a pain. I don't really want to show up in towns anymore at like 11 o'clock at night after a long train ride or something and not have a place to stay. I just don't want to do it, right? So how do you balance spontaneity and planning? What I kind of like to do is really batch my planning. This is the one thing I kind of wanted to share on this note. And I remember one time spending a couple months in Southeast Asia, and this is what we do. We'd have like a couple weeks planned, and then we would just kind of let things go. Maybe we'd stay an extra night or two here or there, extend our stay, uh, maybe adjust our reservations here and there. You know, when you have those conversations, when you check in to places and, hey, how easy is it to extend our stay? You know, is it, uh, is it possible if we want to stick around an extra night or two? It's always good to know what kind of flexibility you have. So maybe that's the first thing is just understanding, you know, your flexibility when it comes to extending your stays at places you're staying at, when it comes to Booking places, you know, I always read the cancellation policies when I'm booking a place because, again, it's good to know if I'm able to cancel up to, you know, 24 hours or even the day of arrival, then I'm still maintaining that flexibility and spontaneity while planning, right? Because I can still cancel if I want to. So these are great things to pay attention to. And, you know, if you if you are wanting to have things planned but still remain open-ended, you can kind of do it in blocks. And like a lot of times on longer trips, I would do that. So I'd have a couple weeks planned with the knowledge that, hey, I can extend my stay here. I can book places here. I can move things around a little bit. And then uh, as my sort of itinerary, I guess you could call it, would, would be 
running out. I would have only X number of days planned ahead. I'd know, okay, well, maybe it's time for me to plan the next couple of weeks. And now I've talked to a bunch of travelers. I've heard of these places. I want to go here instead of here. I've kind of adapted and learned based on conversations. And then I would sit down and instead of like going sightseeing that one day or half day or whatever, you know, go to a cafe, get like coffee or good meal or whatever, and just like plan out the next whatever, two to three weeks, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, just do it all at once. So rather than like trying to just do it a little bit at a time as I go, I found that that was a bit annoying uh, for me because then I feel like I'm always kind of planning and working. I'd rather just kind of plan a little chunk and then know what flexibility I have within it, live that little chunk. And then as I get to the end of that chunk, kind of like adapt, take what I've learned and like plan the next little chunk. And that's how I do it. So I like to batch it to kind of uh, maintain that spontaneity, but still have enough planned where, you know, hey, I know when I arrive at this place or I'm going to be able to have a place to stay. I know when I want to go here, I can go buy that train ticket now or that plane ticket or whatever, because, you know, I've planned ahead. I know they're not sold out. Uh, Or if I try and they are sold out, then I'll change my plans. So you kind of have the next little chunk planned out. So anyway, I'm not sure how you do it, but I do think when all said and done, it is good to have an awareness around the idea of spontaneity and planning. And if you're like somebody who's wants to plan everything, I mean, try to see the value in keeping the spontaneity and some of the plans open-ended. And, and you might find that, you know, those are the best travel experiences, the ones that are unexpected when you go to a place that you never intended to go but you just go because somebody told you about it and they you heard from like four or five travelers that it was one of the most beautiful um you know countrysides they've ever seen and here's a cool place to stay and there's amazing people there and whatever and like you know what i wasn't planning on going here but i'm going to go here and you get these unexpected surprises and that's uh, one of the things uh one of the many things i love about travel is those unexpected uh, things that happen along the way, but you got to leave room for them, right? You can't have, you can't kind of go with it to the full extent that you might want to if you don't have spontaneity built in to your plans. So some thoughts there around balancing spontaneity and planning. Just wanted to share that with you before I let you go. And I got to leave you with a quote today. This one, you know, related to the subject matter that we covered in the podcast. This one's from Pema Chodron, who said... Inner peace begins the moment you choose not to allow another person or event to control your emotions. Thank you so very much for your time today. Much love to you, your family and friends. Thanks again. I'll see you next time. Peace. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.